Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my fellow creatives. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast celebrating creativity, the creative class, and creative culture worldwide. I'm your host, Sourdough, and on today's episode, I'm honored to be joined by a true Renaissance man. He's first and foremost a painter, then a working actor and writer, husband, father, the one and only Michael Ornstein. Hey. Hey, Michael. How are you, brother? <laughs> good morning. Oh, man. It's so good to see you. You too, man. Man, you're looking fresh. I got to tell you. <laughs> Clean shaven. <laughs> oh, that's the trick, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I need to do that. <laughs> that's excellent. But you see, I mean, you know, I led before I saw it, last time I saw you, you're on the brink of moving. There was so much going on. Obviously, a lot of stress. You're kind of over the hump now. You've moved and now you're back in LA working for a few days or whatever. You've seemed lighter. You feel like, you know, you're over the hump. Yeah, it feels really good to you know to be uh to be going into a new a whole new world moving to the midwest you know by the east coast man midwest I'm, i grew up in the midwest i left in the midwest for very good reason <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> great place to grow up what well, how are you finding it? where are you exactly we're in cleveland actually okay you yeah. know and we're finding it pretty good and you know that's why we're there man to grow yeah. up you yeah know, with two kids 11 and 13 yeah and they've experienced so far new york city los angeles and now they're going to be, you know, in this small little town that's containable. Yes. You know, go yes. to a ball game, go to yes. a concert, do whatever they want, L- hop on a train. Listen, I mean, you know, truth of the matter is I have, you know, real concern and guilt sometimes about raising my kids in this crazy city of Hollyweird, you know, having grown, grown up in the Midwest with those simpler pleasures or what have you. So I think that's great for your kids. Yeah. I'm hoping, you yeah. know. And also, you know, man, work-wise, I've always worked better, like, when I'm out of New York City, out of LA, out of a big city, out of, you know, to look at it like, okay, this is where I go to work. Yeah. And here I am and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm painting and I have some time and I'm writing. There's something about being, ob- it's an objectivity that I gain, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Well, by the way, you have a great neighbor. Isn't Dave Chappelle a citizen of Ohio? Is he? Yeah, he actually so. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah, totally yeah. is. Yeah. He has a whole bit about that, I think, where, you know, why he lives in Ohio. Oh. Because I think he kind of grew up for uh, in Ohio for a bit, but he actually has a big farm there. He lives there full time. Yeah, I just saw him. He was doing something with the people after the shooting in, in Dayton. He yes. Was, he was working. 
working with these people yes. and he, he was talking about them and saying how wonderful they are and strong yes. and resilient. Yep. Uh, yeah. I love him, man. So how many, uh, you've been, so you left LA, what, two months ago now? <clears throat> yeah, about two months. Uh, we packed up and uh, I was still shooting, so I couldn't really travel. The plan was to for all of us to drive cross country. Yeah. You know, so we packed up all our stuff and, you know, and then I was still working. So it ended up, uh, Zoe and the kids flew out. And I drove out twice. I drove the dogs out. So romantic. <laughs> you know, it was so great, man. I love a good road trip. Oh, me too. And it was the best this time, you know? I mean, both times, I hardly stayed in motels. I just drove, man. Yeah. Slept on the side of the road in rest stops. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and, and- Real trucker style. Yeah, it was perfect. It was like the greatest thing, man. Just for total freedom. Yeah. To think and- you know, and I feel like, you know, when you move to a place, you know, it's good to drive there. It's good to have a journey yes. to go there, you know. And yeah, I mean, not to be like too sort of, you know, metaphorical about it or whatever. But when I moved to L.A. from Chicago, it was a rebirth for me and so like a reinvention in so many ways. And I insisted on driving and I wanted to, to the extent that I could take the old Route 66 which ironically starts at Jackson in Michigan, in Whoa. Chicago, in downtown Chicago, the original beginning of Route 66. Oh, cool. W- was like literally the intersection of, I'm, I'm, it's, it was either Jackson in Michigan or Van, Van Buren in Michigan, but like right in there in the loop. Cool. And it basically went all the way across the U.S. and ended technically at Santa Monica Pier in Santa Monica. Yeah, because Santa Monica Boulevard is called High it's exactly, Route 66. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. So for me it was like, oh, like like this is like a rebirth, like the Route 66 is like the is like the birth canal and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. being reborn, you know. I love a good road trip, man. Yeah, me too, man. I didn't me want too. it to end. I uh, know. And they're rebuilding uh, big parts of Route 66 now. No kidding. Yeah, they're they're reinstating it, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah, yeah it's that's a great, great man. There's so many famous roads, like Highway 89, you know, goes up all the way up into Canada around uh, Calgary, I think. Okay. And down through, you know, Montana, all the I, New I, Mexico. I have, to, I have to plead ignorance. I, I don't know about Route 89. Yeah, it's the greatest. It's one of the most beautiful highways. I mean, there are like... Famous yeah. highways, you know. Yeah, well, our Highway One here in in Cali, yeah, for example. Oh my right? God! I yeah. mean, you know, one of the most famous highways in the world, you know. So, and you get the, one of the other benefits, right, of moving uh, out of L.A. into the Midwest is you get a hell of a lot more for your money. Oh man! I mean, you you know, you know I'm guessing you have acres or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we have like thirty acres. <laughs> yeah, like, nah. like, <laughs> no, we have like a really modest place, man. But it's like you know, it's we went back in time. Yeah. We looked at we. We looked at Philly, we looked at Rochester, New York, we looked at Portland, Maine, Portland, Oregon, Austin, Nashville. Man, we looked everywhere, yeah. you know, and nobody was looking at Cleveland. Nobody, nobody was talking about it. Right. When I started telling people we're moving to Cleveland, people were like, why? Is everything okay? <laughs> Jesus. You know? Yeah. It was different. Right, you know, right. if I would have said Austin, it would have been, oh, great, Austin. Yeah. But yeah. like, no, and I was always really good at like finding neighborhoods in New York yes. City to yeah. move to before they gentrified yeah. that I could still afford. Yeah. You know what I mean? I yep. was always, I always had a knack for that. Right. And I feel like I did it again. Yeah. Here, yeah. You know? 
Because it's got everything you would need. Well, it's and a talk great about, city. Talk about the art scene in Cleveland. Well, the art scene in Cleveland, I think, has a little connection to, I'm hoping, has a connection to the art scene in Detroit. Sure. Two hours away. Right. And then you got Pittsburgh right below it, another two hours. You got Chicago five hours that way. Yeah. You got Toronto three hours that way. Yeah. So I feel like what's going on in Cleveland it, there's a lot of theater there's a the museum is like world class man i mean mm. it's free you know there's right. a lot of philanthropy and um and i'm not sure what is going on yet in cleveland but i want to have a lot to do with the art scene in cleveland yeah yeah you just you know? i mean obviously you just got there but no that's so yeah. exciting right to yeah. think that you can have an impact yeah right. you know and uh and there's a lot of there's a lot of street art there you yeah. know, I see it a lot. Yeah. And people think about it a lot. And, uh, you know, it's one of these cities like Winnipeg, you know, it closes down in the in yeah. the winter. Right. So in the winter, artists figure out what they're doing and mm-hmm. they kind of like hibernate. Mm-hmm. And then the spring comes and it's like, boom, yeah. you know? So there's a lot of time, I feel, for artists in Cleveland to chill out with their work, you know, with right. themselves. Yeah, right. You know? Sort of hibernate and gestate and... Yeah. Right, right. All yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you know? And out of that comes really good music and art and plays right. and, you know, a, a lot of a lot of stuff I like that. I have to confess, I mean, I, I, you know, I haven't looked at the map recently, but I had forgotten that Cleveland was sort of in the middle of so much action. Yeah. Detroit, Philly, Chicago, you know, I mean, it's all kind of, you know, uh, Toronto, it's all right there. It's right there. And then you got this raging, you know, fucking lake. Yeah. You know, this ocean of a lake. Yep. You know, the Gordon Lightfoot song, you know, the Evelyn <laughs> Fitzgerald was, that was that lake. Yes, dude. You know, the witches of November. The, the Great early. Lakes, man, are no joke. Yeah. I grew up on the south end of Lake Michigan, uh, outside Chicago. And yeah. uh, boy, that's, it's, you know. It's it's serious water, serious body of water. Big deal, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm looking forward to like you know hitting up with uh, Detroit and Chicago. I love Chicago. Yeah, I can't wait to be near it. Well, I mean, being a theater guy, yeah. I mean, shit, Chicago is like (laughs) it's like Mecca, man. Steppenwolf, right? You know, I mean, they were they were my idols, man. We got to work with them, and I I had a theater company. I was a part of a circle rep theater company in New York, you Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. and we hooked up with um, with Steppenwolf years ago, man, and did Mm -hmm. True West and Bomb and Gilead, you know, which is a a show that like changed my life, man. Directed by John Malkovich, Terry Kinney, Gary Sinise, (laughs) Jeff. Harry, Glenn Edley, uh, Laurie Metcalf. I mean, the, the pedigree is just, I mean, it's wow. its world class. So you, don't, yeah. you don't get better than those people. Yeah. And the audiences, you know, right. that you get in the Midwest. Right. You know, I've done a lot of plays in the Midwest, you know, like three, four hour plays. Well, you have like a you deep know? connection with Terre Haute, Indiana. Yeah, man. Like, like that's so random. I mean, yeah. I, you know, specifically, I was born in Gary, Indiana. I grew yeah. up in Northwest Indiana. I've been to Terre Haute many times. And when yeah. you and I met and you, you were telling me about this Terre Haute connection, I was like, that's very random. Yeah, it's amazing. This guy, Michael Tigley, he he runs uh, this place down there called Artsiliana and... You know, and I, I connected with him and I just love it there, man. Yeah. I have this painting and it's like, it's built um, around an old jailhouse, 150 years old. So the painting inhabits like 16 people who spent time in the jailhouse. And there's a lot of, their stories, their epistles are like written onto the painting. And, uh, and I showed it there. And while we were exhibiting the painting, I, I thought like, hey man, why don't we make it, uh, make a play out of this? 
So I arranged to like, you know, find like 16 actors, local actors, and we did it. We They did it. Inspired by play. your painting. Yeah. That's incredible. And, you know, they said all the dialogue that was written on the painting, and it took 70 minutes to do. <laughs> and there were all these people showed up, man. And it was like a performance. It was a play. I call it hand-painted radio. Oh, dude. To do that. That's fantastic. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, hand-painted radio implies that that play would, would be a, a great radio show, right? Yeah. Like you could do it as like a podcast. That's right. Right. I'm obsessed with that old time radio. Yeah. Just the sound, you know, and the imagination. Right. Well, that's it. Right. It It, it. it leaves it to your imagination. We're spoon fed so much shit these days that we're not thinking for ourselves. Yeah. You know, and hearing that, you know, listening, sitting back and listening to a story, man, that's so ancient. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and you got a little campfire shit, man. I mean, yeah. You know? Yeah, that's uh, what we're all about, man. Right. Folk tales. That's so good. You know? That's so good. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about your painting is that you incorporate language so much. Yeah. And, you know, you, you're such a prolific painter. That's another whole nother conversation. But the, the one of the things that's always jumped out of, uh, to me about your work is your integration of, of language, the written word story. Yeah. Narrative. Yeah. It's really important to me, man. I know it always has been. And really early on when I was younger, when I was like 17, 18, and I would show my stuff to people, you know, they, uh, a lot of people really hated that, you know, and really came down hard on me, you know, don't write on a painting. You can't write on a painting. What is this? It, it turns a painting into bullshit. Wow. A guy from a gallery told me that yeah. it turns a, a work of art into bullshit when yeah. you write on it. That's not real art. Yeah. You know, and I felt like, wow, that's fucking interesting. You know, it, it, it turn, it, words, story turns a painting into bullshit when you write on it because it reminds you of something, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, that's what's so dangerous, man, about people talking to young artists, yep. you know, about stuff and saying shit like that because that stuck with me, man. I'm, Fuck I'm yeah, it did. You know? And and uh, it, yeah, it, it made me it made me do it better. It made me write more. You right. Know? And, well, and the arrogance, right? The arrogance yeah. of the uh, intelligentsia of the art world. Uh, these fucking assholes yeah. that think that they know what art is when they can't paint themselves out of a fucking paper box or yeah. whatever bag. And probably every art movement in throughout history. You know, the, the disruptor, innovating, uh, innovator, uh, painter, artist was told by the gatekeepers that day, well, that's not a real art. And uh, now we study them in art school. Yeah, that's right. You uh-huh. know, there are all these rules, you know, like you can't go beyond that line. You yeah. can't go beyond this line. You have to know the rules. Yeah. Well, I don't know any of the rules, man, because I never studied art. Right. I never, you know, I studied it on my own. Yeah, so many artists have not studied art. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, what's, where's the opportunity? There was no opportunity for me to, to study art when I was a kid yeah. other than like I grew up outside of Manhattan. Right. So, you know, we'd go to New York City. Go to the museums, yeah. go see all the shows yeah. and, yeah. you know, and go to the, uh, when, uh, Soho before Soho was Soho, you know, right. my parents were into going to the, st- there was one place called food okay. and we'd go there, they'd have a bulletin board mm-hmm. and artists who lived in the neighborhood, the squatting in the, in the, you know, old factories, yeah, in the old buildings, yeah. you know, they would say, Hey man, I'm having a show today. Come mm-hmm. in. I'm mm-hmm. having an open studio. And me and my parents, I was a little kid, you know, we would go up these gigantic staircases into a, a, a tremendous raw factory space and somebody'd be working in there. Right. You know, and I would just sit there and watch him. Right. You know, and that was my education for art. Dude, that I mean what what a priceless uh uh experience for a young impressionable emerging wow. artist. It was so important, man, to just watch him work 
and they wouldn't even look at me. I mean, they would just work. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, they were just happy to You're, be there. Right. Some little kid, you know, with hair, yeah. hair, <laughs> foot up on my head, you know, <laughs> you know, just sitting there staring at them. That's and sick. also all the street art that was going on at the time. Yeah, right. You know, this is the 70s, the early 70s. Yeah. So you had the trains coming from Brooklyn and from the Bronx and you could see them and they were up top and hear them and see them like I'm my what a show that was man to look up and feel that sound in your belly you know and see those colors coming like on trains man and there was one cat I think his name was Richard Hamblin I'm not sure okay he would paint like I mean I started seeing these figures all over lower Manhattan and the Bowery and the Lower East Side cuz that's where we we went a lot and uh cuz the cats is deli and shit you know? right yeah sure and uh you know in little Italy and Chinatown and you know so there were these uh figures and they he used black paint and they weren't aerosol he used a brush and they, he would hide them around a corner and a doorway, this, that. And when I was a little man, I mean, that to me was the most exciting thing when I would find one and see one. You know, even if we were driving by and I would clock one, they just like, they took over my mind, man. These things, these figures. It was like, it was like, it's like hide and seek or something. Yeah. Right? Like you're, yeah. you're, 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 you're these, these things are hiding from you. You're seeking them, finding them. Yeah. What a cool mm -hmm. impression. I mean, so they, I mean, they're, they're just burned in your memory. Burned in my memory. Because yeah. back then, I mean, New York was awesome, man. It was dangerous as fuck. It was so dangerous. It's so boring now. It's so boring now. <laughs> it's all gone. All the ethnic yes. little beauties are it's, gone. It's, it's you called know? homogenization or yeah. gentrification or whatever. Yeah, yeah man. It's sad. But yeah. back then, I mean, you know, there the graffiti, the you know, and that that was different, man. That was just like very that was very aggressive. And it was very mysterious. Because you yeah. never knew what he was trying to trying to do with these figures. You yeah, know? right. But it was around the time when people, you know, would get mugged yeah. regularly. Yeah. You know, you'd hear I uh, got mugged, I got mugged, I got mugged, I got right. mugged. Well, he was painting fear. He was painting fear. And he was painting mystery. Yeah, right. Oh, I just loved it. Man. Yeah, I was listening to, this is kind of a, it's on point, but it's a, a random thing. But I was listening to a, an interview with Rob Zombie the yeah. other day, right? And uh, he was talking about that era in New York. I guess it was late 70s for him. Or, but he was talking about walking somewhere and there was a dead body, you know, like in yeah. the street. Like they, the cops were just covering it up. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It was like, yeah, that, yeah. that city is, uh, is, is, a, is an exciting place to live. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so much came out of that, yeah. man. I mean, the whole the, uh, independent film scene yeah. came out of that. CBGBs came out of it. The right. Ramones, Patti yep. Smith, yep. Television, yep. the Dead Boys. Yeah. You know, all of it. That was all happening. And you were there. Yeah, I was there. I was well, there. by the way, okay, so hold on for a second. Let's give a shout out to your mom and dad. Yeah. Oh, my right? God. And I don't think I've ever actually asked you about your parents. Yeah. I don't even know if they're still with us anymore. Yeah, my dad is. Yeah. So, I know? mean, let's, let's talk about your parents. I mean, yeah. you know, how did they influence your life? Because clearly it was epic. I mean, it was, it was fundamental. Yeah, it was fundamental. My mom was artistic. She realized I was artistic mm -hmm. really young, mm -hmm. you know, and she was always, uh, always about all religions teaching me about every single religion. Mm -hmm. You know, I was mm -hmm. raised Jewish. Mm -hmm. My aunt though, her sister was a nun. So oh, wow. my aunt was a nun and I, you know, I was Jewish. So yeah. it, you know, I got to learn all about, you know, what, 
a nun is about, yeah, you know, and yeah. what, what Catholicism, that, Catholicism yeah. and yeah. Buddhism and Judaism. And out of that came Joseph Campbell. Yeah, right. You know, my mom turned Power me on. A, yeah, Joseph came. My pop turned me on to Jack Kerouac when I was a child. And so I had like Joseph Campbell, Jack Kerouac, my aunt, who's a nun, New York City, like all these people I met. And my mother was very into that. You know, she cultivated that. Like, I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid, you know, because I would watch like, you know, Jimmy Cagney movies with my grandfather, Humphrey Bogart, you know, three o'clock in the morning when I would sleep over. That's what we would do. We'd watch old movies. Yeah. And I loved it. And I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to do, do that. I wanted to be Bogart. You yeah. know, when I was like, you know, six years old, <laughs> you know, I wore a hat. I dressed like my grandfather, you know, that's, wore a hat. That's tie. amazing. And I also, I, I don't knew, think I know yeah. if I don't, I don't think I know. I, I, I don't think I knew who Bogart was at six. So I'm <laughs> yeah. envy. I, I envy you. Go ahead. Well, not only did I know who Bogart was, I knew about the history of Italian and Jewish and Irish yeah. gangsters, yeah. you know, in the, in the city, you know, How from business the really 20s. gets done. Yeah. yeah right. Like, that was that was my my world and cowboys and yeah. you know all that stuff so yeah. uh, so my mom dug it you know that i wanted to be an actor so when i was like 12 years old she's like okay you want to study acting and i said yeah i do mm -hmm. so she uh took me to the american academy of dramatic arts in new york and i studied with really serious people there man yeah. i mean yeah. people were smoking and eating egg sandwiches in class you know the yeah. teachers yeah drinking coffee right they were working artists right. working artists and they were older people coming from you know uh the generation like two generations before me man yeah. and the first play i ever did was a eugene ionesco play called rhinoceros i mean this like totally <laughs> profound you know <laughs> surreal piece and how were you i was like 12 years old man <laughs> you know and we did it for real it was yeah, great man yeah. and then after that i wanted to study uh you know all the people from the group theater like lee strasberg mm -hmm. so i went to lee's school you okay. know saturday classes yeah. matt Dillon was in my class it was a kick-ass class it was great man <laughs> and you know i was doing like sensory work you know you know when i was like 13 years old you know like yeah really wow, cool dude. learning how to relax my body learning how to uh, catalog my memories, learning how to really, you know, explore my mind and my psyche when I, you know, 13. And no then, wonder you're a super weapon. <laughs> you know, I mean, I took it real serious because I would go back to Jersey. I, I wouldn't even talk about it. Nobody knew I was right. doing that. You know, I well, wasn't because this is This is spiritual development. Hell yeah. Right. For real, man. You know, in a big way. And nobody, and I just kept it a hundred percent private i didn't act or audition or i wasn't interested in that at all i just wanted to develop i wanted to be an artist because i grew up in jersey man i, I didn't know any artists i never met an artist you know what i mean yeah so like you know i figured well I don't know if I'm even from here, you know? I got to, right. like, find my people. And I found my people in these people yeah. who taught me and people who um, who would come into class. Like, a lot of people would just come in a class, you know? Like, friends of the teachers, they would bring them in, you know? And right. people would talk about what they were working on, what they were doing. And then when I was 16 or 14 or 15, I, I, I went to Stella Adler's school. And one day she came in to the actual Saturday class and yeah. Stella Adler was just like, you know, I mean, an idol of mine, uh, you know, uh, and she came in and we became like friends, man, like me and her. 
It was insane. She invited me to go to her adult classes, you know? And my mom would like take me in. It was nighttime and you, you know, and with me and my mom and my mom would go and do something, you know, go to a cafe or yeah, whatever, yeah, right, you know? while you were in class. Yeah. yeah. And and then uh after her class, she would come in. First off, she would you know, sit in a throne. So she would like enter the room and sit in a big throne. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was a scene study class. That's what she you know, so after the class she said, don't say anything ever in class, but after, come and talk to me. So I would go and talk to her in her dressing room mm-hmm. and ask her all these questions. And one time she said, never put your head on the pillow unless you change the world that day. And I was like, holy shit, wow. Man. No pressure there. Fucking 15 years old. <laughs> you know? I was Whoa. like, all right. You know, and that was like, it's so clear to me. I mean, I could see her face saying it, you know, and 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 uh, I remembered it, and I just like I was like, okay, yeah, yeah I'm still doing that, you know, right. and that means you know, make a painting or write something, yeah. or you know, tell your tell your child you, you love them in a in a new way that's gonna impact you know, culture, impact culture, you know, something that moves you forward, something that moves mm-hmm. could move the world forward, but moves you forward. Yeah, that's right. You know, makes you better. So I want somehow. to clarify something because one of the things that I've always, and we've, you and I have known each other now a few years, and and one of the things that you've always been clear about with me is that you think of yourself first and foremost as a painter. Yeah. Right. And as I'm listening to you talk right now in in your journey, right, as a young boy, it, you know, clearly these acting classes and, you know, they played a prominent role. But were you painting and drawing during this time as well? When did you start putting uh, pen to paper? Yeah. So to like, I, like I never stopped. Like yeah. when I was, you know, a child, you know, I drew yeah. like every child draws. Does. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. But like I, I just never stopped. Okay. And I just like got different materials basically you know what right, i mean right sure like so you know i went from whatever i was drawn with when when i was a little kid and then you know i there was a there was a really important store in my hometown okay and it was a, a stationary store right and they had this like section of art stuff mm-hmm. you know like charcoal pencils yeah. uh pencil sharpeners that were different you know they were metal right and, right you know they had notebooks and they had black books and yeah. they had all kinds of paper and the guy who was running it his son worked there and he looked just like cat stevens okay you know yeah. back then yeah right early 70s yeah. you know and he was a hippie and he had like you know like uh you know a beard and long hair and curly hair and and uh and he would teach me about what this stuff was because i would ask him all these questions all the time right. and the shop was right around the corner from my pop's business you okay. know so i would go there all the time and 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 start experimenting with whatever i found there in the shop you know colors and and uh you know pa- different papers and different paints and and stuff like that so growing up that's what i started doing and that too i kept it completely private interesting i, I didn't tell anybody i was doing it i just i just painted and messed around you know with o- uh, oil paint and anything i could get my but hands on but you weren't on. showing these uh art creative uh pieces to anyone else Nobody. it was a private thing not even right. really my parents yeah. like i didn't right. it wasn't i didn't have any impulse whatsoever to show anything to anybody That's i was super just interesting. doing it, yeah. you know 
And uh, you didn't need that validation. You didn't want that. You didn't want yeah. that. You just, it wasn't even on your mind. Well, that was if, if anything, I was afraid that somebody was going to take it away from me. Interesting. Because you know? right. my dad was never so keen that I was uh, interested in art or oh, acting or anything I like got that. It. He wanted you to have a real job or yeah. something. Yeah. You know, he right. wanted me to go into business with him. Yeah. You know, what and business was he in? He was in the garment business, yeah. you know, which right. I found to be beautiful because of all the people who were in it with him, you know, right. and, right. you know, but. It's a creative field for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely, right. man. Yeah. You know, but like that wasn't i knew real early on that yeah. the, where i was headed yeah. you know yeah and you know so i i just really didn't want anybody to take what i was because yeah. I, I didn't know it i was a kid and still to this day yeah. man yeah. you know i feel the same way right it's like i'm in the middle of figuring something out yeah i don't know what it is yet right. so i don't want anybody to, to come in and start telling me this and that or do this or do that i want to figure it out because if i figure if i figure it out i'll figure it out my way yes and then i could always learn the conventional way of course you could always learn convention yeah you know and i'm into that well what i appreciate about your story is that you know the conventional process might say you know what learn the rules and then figure out your voice right right or your point of view or whatever and you know how fortunate you were to be in a situation where you could figure out your voice and your point of view first right 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 because i had i had no one to teach me convention yeah and i couldn't you know google something right we didn't have that no. yeah you know and there was absolutely no painters except for my mom yeah you know and my dad painted a little a little bit interesting you know but like uh you know, I mean, the only reference that I had was going to these studios when I was when I was a kid, yeah, and seeing people work, right? And I mean, people were working large scale, and they were painting with like vicious material and getting paint everywhere, and you know, really in the midst of what they were doing, and that's what I learned from. I I, I remembered it. I remembered. Uh, a friend of uh, my folks, her name was Ronnie, and she owned a shop called Wearable Art mm -hmm. in Soho. Mm -hmm. It was real, one of the first shops down there. And once they, we <clears throat> visited them, they lived, they had a brownstone down around Jane Street. And I remember going there, and uh, the, her husband was out in the patio in the back. And we hung out with her, you know, because my, my folks went to high school, grew up with her. Yeah. And uh, But the husband... He just stayed in the back. He didn't even come and say hello, and he was painting, mm -hmm. right? And I was looking at him, looking at him, looking at him, and just a little kid, and I just went out. I just got up because they weren't talking to me or anything. I was right. just sitting there, and I went, and I hung out with him in the back. And again, man, he didn't even fucking look at me, you know? <laughs> he just, like, let me be there. And, like, I was a cat or a yeah, dog yeah. or something, you Hell, know? Hell, he, he, he might not, not have known you were there. He yeah, might have been he, in his own world, I, right? I, I bet. Yeah. I never even thought of that. <laughs> yeah. And he just worked. And for the whole time that we were there, I was just sitting there and looking at him, watching what he was doing. And, you know, he had a shirt off. He was wearing, like, cut-off jean shorts and no, no shoes or nothing, you know? And it was just, like, he was in his own house, in his own world, man. And... Uh, you know, I heard that we were getting ready to leave. They were getting up. So I went in the other room and we went toward the front door. And then I turned around and there he was. And he shook my hand and he introduced himself as we were leaving and gave me like the biggest smile. And it meant so fucking much to me. And that's maybe why 
I didn't feel like showing or didn't feel like doing anything because of the the feeling that I that I saw these artists not paying me any mind. Yeah. They weren't looking at me and saying, Hey, what do you think? You got any questions? Hey, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And right. nah, 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 nah. they were just doing their thing. It was for them it on a certain level. Them, yeah. Right. And if someone was sitting there learning yeah. or digging it, right. that's cool too. Yeah. Right. You know? That's cool too. One time I when I went to, I went to college for a year, you mm-hmm. know, for acting. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, this guy, Bruce Furtman did this uh in in our uh movement class it was like he was doing martial arts Mm -hmm. he was teaching gonna teach us tai chi and aikido Mm -hmm. so the first class that any that i ever had in movement you know uh you know real serious movement class he uh greeted us he was doing tai chi for like a half an hour we walked into the room he was doing tai chi for a half an hour, we watched him right. do Tai Chi. Right. And that's know? all. Like, he was just doing Tai yeah. Chi, and the class was about you coming in and watching. Right. right. And feeling yeah. that. That energy, yeah. He, not not a word, right. man. Right. Just, this is where you are now. Right. Welcome to that's my so world. That's so powerful, too. Tai Chi, I remember uh, years ago, I was traveling. Uh, it was, it was, uh, I was in San Francisco International Airport, and it was one of those rush hour kind of deals where it's like, you know, the plane's taking off at like 6 p.m. You know, everyone's done their work and everyone's rushing to their planes to get home or whatever. And it was just madness in the terminal, right? And I'm going down and I'm walking and there's this beautiful Chinese woman. She's probably, I don't know, she was probably in her 20s, young gal. And she's doing Tai Chi at her gate. Wow. She's waiting for her plane. And it was arguably, so well, certainly one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen, period, because she was the the calm of the storm as the world was raging around her. She was at peace doing this Tai Chi um, uh, movement. Yeah. It's I mean, it, it, so right? yeah. So it just I like it, stops time. It so redefines it does. time. It does. It's it does. A, it, like an invitation. Right. To go to a place and, where there's and, no time. And a reminder <laughs> of how how hectic and crazy our time can be if we don't slow down. Yeah. Right? And dealing with energy. Yeah. You know, you're dealing with energy, man. Your yeah. own energy. And, and you're inviting other people to join in your, you know, well, bring their energy. And, you know, obviously, you know, what do I know? But, like, <laughs> I'm still tripping out on the fact that, that <laughs> there are classes focused on movement. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big deal, man. And of course it is, right? Like I've never thought about it, but of course, if you're an actor or you're studying acting, like I can totally see that movement would be a core discipline. Yeah, it's what it's all about. Painting, even writing, you know, it's about movement. Even if you're sitting there with a typewriter or a computer or, you know, dictating, you know, it really is about movement, starting with the breath. And then moving your body by what you're feeling and what you're thinking. And you could define a whole character. I mean, the Sons of Anarchy, uh, Mayans with Chucky, you know, his movement is really fucking important to me, man. And, you know, uh, throughout, you know, everything that's going on in his head, it's really what's in his body that that I'm working on. And every character that I've ever done, you know, I, I find that character through how they move and through uh you know how they you know because how you move informs how you breathe and how you talk and how you look at things and how you think 
You know, it's all about how you move when you watch like Montgomery Clift or like Jimmy Dean, Marlon Brando, all those guys. I mean, they were deep into a movement. And what's wild is that me coming up, I mean, I, I think I was like the last generation that really had a connection to what those guys were doing. The, so, you know. So, not to interrupt, but I have a question. So, would you say that the young actors these days that are coming on into the biz are are embracing and, and and studying and learning the fundamentals in the way that you did in your generation? I feel like if they go to Juilliard or, yeah, you know, some right, right. really great program, like, you know, I went to Mason Gross School of the Arts yeah. in Rutgers. It was a Meisner technique, voice, yeah. movement, uh, acting, everything. You okay. know, if you go to, you know, if you go to one of those programs and they're, they're, uh, teaching it in an old school, you right, know, pure right. way. I bring that up because yeah. uh, in the visual arts side, like I remember, you know, there's a lot of these, they tend to be for-profit art schools or what have you. But um, I've also, I've been very disappointed in looking at portfolios of students who have graduated because it seems like many of these programs skip over the fundamentals, say, of sketching. Yeah. Right. They, they're going, see, seemingly they're going right into learning Photoshop. Right. It's and I'm like, wait a minute. Heartbreaking. I want to see your sketchbook. What do you mean? Yeah. I want to see how you think. Yeah. What do you mean? Your sketching shows me how you think. Right. You know? And it's and, the basis for everything that, yeah. that they're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, th- I think, like, you know, it's that old old school, you know, two generations back, you know, people who were, uh, you know, in their eighties when I, when I was, you know, 18, yeah, you know, those yeah. people were my friends right. and people like Anna Sokolow, she was my dance teacher. I mean, she was in Martha Graham's original company. I knew people who were in the group theater, you know, and you know, the, the technicalities, yeah. these beautiful technicalities that you base your whole shit on for the rest of your life right right. you know i mean they when they were young i mean like you know when they were young that was very serious it was a trade you were learning a craft you were learning something you were learning how to sharpen a pencil you know it's like when you talk to a a sushi chef yeah see a hero dreams of sushi or whatever yes yes. how they talk about like you know the omelet making an egg yeah you know the simplest thing yeah and finding you know the most technical difficulties in this most simple thing and really getting into it you know you you need that tool man you know i mean as an artist you know i went out and found that shit you know that's what i was like questing for when i was playing with all those different materials and and i'm I'm spitballing here i don't don't know i mean maybe i'm totally off base but I, i i'm willing to speculate that a lot of those teachers that you had were were probably first generation american or immigrate immigrated from europe so there was probably this hardcore european thing going on where it's yeah. like no you you know you are nothing <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. you know and you will learn this oh, hell uh, yeah. and i'll beat you know like beat it into you yeah. one way or another right it There's was a, tough man yeah, rigor we're very rigorous a lot of rigor yeah. i mean if someone did what what happened every few minutes in a class when i was a kid if someone talked to a student like that now they they would be in jail yeah i mean right. you know what i mean exactly you know yeah but i mean the thing is it's like you you read about picasso van gogh modigliani you read about these people 
people and how they came up. I mean, they were they were sent to, you know, uh, very serious schools, man, yeah. and learned, you know, the basics like Da Vinci learned, like anyone yeah, learned, you right. know, through the years. Yeah. Like my kids right now, you know, they don't even know how to write cursive. I right. mean, my kids actually no, no. know how to write. Yeah, no, no, no. You know like what the I mean? kids these but days, like, they're just typing. Yeah, they're, right. they're just typing. Yeah. And now, you know, uh, the way like an iPhone is or yeah. this or that, you don't even have to type anymore. All right. You could just dictate. So all of our tools are being taken away from us. Right. And if you, you know, if the battery goes out, man, you got to have a pencil. You got to be able to know how to draw. Yeah, right. You know, it's really fucking important. Yeah. You know, because, you know, somebody told me really early on, a director, his name is Joe Rose, like the first play I ever did. And he said that, uh, you know, it's like a tennis match, man. You got to have boundaries. You got to have something that you're working inside of for discipline to give you freedom. You know, yeah. it's really yeah. important to have yeah. rules and, and, and boundaries and stuff like that. It's focus too. Yeah. It's focus, man. You need to be in there. Like if you're improving, you know, the improvisational artists, you know, people who do that live, you know, they have, they have really rigorous boundaries, man. And that's what makes them that free. They, right. they have a work, they're connected to the people they're working with mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they, they know where they're going. Yeah. You know, because right. they have these boundaries and that opens up the world to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. It gives them so much freedom. So I think it's really important, man, that people stay away from the computer. You know, yeah, right. really stay away from it. It's a luxury. It's a luxury. Yeah. And uh, you need your uh, your fundamentals in place before you go play with these powerful tools that, you know, you know they have their place, yeah. But they're not. Uh, they're they're the they're a means to the end, but they're not the end. Yeah, you know? they're not. Um, but I want to go back because this this whole conversation we're having about your you you studying movement as an actor or what have you or the power the importance of movement in all of these things like. What I appreciate about this is that I'm seeing your painting in a new way now, having this conversation, because your paintings have such energy that is all about the movement of the brush and your hand and uh, and and the and maybe if there's a writing uh, language uh, narratives written into the paint, there's 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 a flow there. And I just, you know, in all candor, had never really thought about how m how your mindful movements or your your mindfulness around movement might be informing your painting. Yeah, like a lot. Like a yeah, whole Yeah, it's totally lot. clear to me now. Yeah. Right. Like I like to, with my, my paintings, I mean like, I like to leave, I like to put them in a place where they're, where they're sort of in flux, where you can yeah. see the movement, you yeah. can see the mistakes, you could see, you know, uh, where I was headed with one thing or where I was headed with another thing. So that when you're looking at one of my paintings, when I want someone when they're looking at one of my paintings to feel the movement inside the painting and go from this place to this place to this place to that place to this place to that place. And I want them to work with me and meet me halfway and form that painting. Yes. You know, it's like my, I feel like my, I want my paintings I want to leave my paintings in midair, you know, and have them be unfinished so that the viewer in communicating kind of with me, with the painting in the middle, finishes the painting. Sure. Like when I write on a painting, I'm writing on the painting. I'm not 
transcribing on the painting. Sometimes I am. Sometimes I do do that. Right, right. But most of the time, like on that piece with the uh, 16 stories, yes, epistles, yes, whatever. Yes. I mean, I, I just, I grabbed a pen. I wrote in, I, I had the penmanship actually reflect the character that I was, you know, and, and I was like, just, they were just flowing through me and I was writing yeah. in real time on the thing. And every every uh, piece of penmanship is completely different. One guy even I wrote backward. I didn't think about that. <laughs> wow. He just I just wrote it. Everything was backwards. So yeah. you put it in a mirror. You know, it's perfect. Right. You know. But I think like, yeah, uh, I'm all about movement. I'm I'm I I feel like uh, to me movement is more important than depth. You know. Interesting. Just to just to get it out there. You know, and 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 leave it in a place where I feel like if I touch even one tiny, tiny dot, I got to start all over again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just leave it like in in the the pinnacle of some sort of movement in well, midair. This also, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it, it on a certain level, it, it, it sort of helps to explain your, your uh, prolific uh, output. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, because I mean, that's again one of the things I've appreciated about you as a visual uh, artist, as a painter, is that you are f fucking prolific, dude. Yeah, man. I mean, I just throw my. That's why I call my stuff monkey language, you know, because it's my language, and I'm like a just a monkey. It's like you put me in a studio, you know, and I have whatever materials I have. I like to keep my materials kind of light too. Yeah, you know, and just kind of like you know be wanting mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you know and uh you know so i'll have my materials i'll have whatever is there that day and even if i have to paint on the back of paintings you know yeah. i'll go i'll go do that well and the other distinction too is i would it is clear to me how serious of a painter or how serious you are about your painting but I don't think for a moment that you're actually precious about your painting if that makes sense no n in no way Right. I mean, in no way. I mean, I have my own preciousness. Yeah. You know. I yeah. mean, like my, pre I'm, I'm precious to, to not polish it. You know. I'm right. I'm, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm precious <laughs> right. to. Yeah. I, you know what it is, man? For real, I'm precious to keep me the fuck out of my paintings. <laughs> you know. Wow, that's if, deep. If, if I that's see me in my fucking paintings, if I see an idea that I had that I tried to do and right. you know really hard, it's done, man. Well, that implies the fact that you are a vessel. Yeah, a hundred percent. Right. That's You're it. just trying to open yourself up to be a channel, a medium. A vessel for something else, not you. Not Absolutely. Your, right. It's like I show up in the morning, man. I light a cigarette. I have a cup of coffee. I look around me. I check it out. I, but mainly what I'm doing is I'm feeling myself and I'm feeling wh where I'm at. And I'm doing just what Bruce Furtman did when he was doing that Tai Chi in his, in his studio. And I'm feeling myself out. I'm feeling myself out. I, the kids are in school. You know, everything is kind of done. I'm here to work and I'm feeling it out, feeling it out. And then I go to work and whatever I'm I'm feeling that day is applied to whatever work I do, whether it's working on a painting I've had for 25 or 30 years or something that I'm just starting. And I love to throw new materials at myself mm -hmm. so that 
that in itself is an exploration yes. and that that painting comes out of me experimenting with brand new materials and new colors and what's awesome is that montana keeps coming out with like brand new colors yeah. brand new textures brand new everything all the time mm -hmm. so it's like it's like an unending fountain of brand new shit yeah and you know i mix i paint a lot with like raw pigment Mm -hmm. and uh marble powder mm -hmm. and stuff like that and mm -hmm. inks mm -hmm. and and all kinds of surfaces plastics metals like yes. glass like canvas burlap whatever the fuck i could find papers different papers yeah you know just to keep it fresh and just to really understand nothing but continue going yeah. you know and if i do understand something i have that tool where i could forget something right i could like literally learn something know about it know all i can possibly know about it and then put it in my back pocket and forget about it that i learned from acting mm -hmm. you know from meisner sandy meisner do your homework he would say do all your homework know this front and back and and intricately then when you right before you go on stage though put it in your pocket forget it a hundred percent and go and listen to the people you're working with you know and react truthfully you know and that's what i try to do with my paintings man i try to just do exactly that i i've been painting you know 50 years you know and uh you know i know what i'm doing for what i do you know yeah. for my you know flavor of doing you know, I, yeah, I know yeah. that. Right. And, you know, but when I'm painting, I don't want to know anything other than that I'm literally a vessel and that shit is coming through me. I have no idea where these stories come from. I don't know. I don't know where these colors or images come from. I paint a lot of people. Yes, you do. Yeah. You know, it's like sometimes uh, my grandfather comes up a lot. Uh, this woman with red hair comes up a lot, mm -hmm. you know, this, mm -hmm. this uh, reddish brown hair, you know, I used to have a, a recurring dreams about her. Now my daughter looks exactly like her. Yeah. All these paintings, <laughs> my daughter's starting to look exactly <laughs> like this girl, you know, That's I'll, so I'll deep. do a painting and say, oh man, I, that was that cat who was sitting across from me when, uh, you know, on the subway train, you know, going out to like, you know, I remember that guy or, you know, this and that it's like, I create, I, I, I catalog faces yeah, and not just faces. Like I try to paint people the way they look when they're sitting on a subway train after a hard day, mm. the way they look when they're just within themselves, just thinking about their lives in a state of like meditation, safety, you know, and they're just sitting there on the train. That's what I try to paint. And a lot of people think they look sad, but I don't think they look sad. I think people look most beautiful when they're just with themselves without any mask of well, emotional that's, and again that's that gets to a point uh, you know one of the reasons why i've always appreciated your work is that there's a humanity to it i think thanks i mean it's not it's you know? not well th th i mean that's it for me i mean i it, it 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 obviously would resonate differently with different people but but i've always thought there was a humanity to it i didn't necessarily know why that was but now, you know, you're unpacking that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just, it's really important to me to, to like Studs Terkel, mm. Anthony Bourdain, mm. people who were interested in talking to people and having 
those people's stories yeah. be told. Sincere interest. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's really important to me. Yeah. And to represent uh, another human being in a state where they are, you know, is really important to me. And just to make it honest. Yeah. You know? Like, well, I read about uh, the riots in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921. Never knew about that. I came upon it, you know, years ago, like, just by chance, man. What was the, was a racial thing or yeah. what was happening? It was yeah. A, a, yeah. a white woman yeah. said that a, a black elevator operator, some kid, raped her or she was, ra you know, yeah. she made up a story, yeah. you know? Fuck. And it ended up, you know, these guys got on their crop planes and dropped bombs onto the shanty towns, you know, Jesus. where all the people live, burned down, you know, houses, people's houses, you know, uh, thousands of ha of houses and stuff like that. So I, I did these four paintings, you know, a, a, a grandson, a mother, a father, and a grandfather, you know, just came out of that. And that just happened, man. You know, it just came out. And once it comes out, you know, I follow it. You yeah, know, but right. but now I have a representation of of the Tulsa riot of nineteen twenty one. It's really important to me, and the people who own those pieces are also really very very important to me. They're they're amazing artists mm -hmm. who who own these these pieces, and you know, and they know the story, and they yeah. know who those people are. So it's really important to me, man, when somebody has one of my pieces that they know where it's coming from, and they know that it's a piece of history and yeah, that right. it's really about something and and it's about something in the way that that a an old delta blues folk song or you know yeah. is 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 about a flood you know right that's like right. what i'm trying to do yeah. stag lee there's 30 40,000 versions of the song stag lee yeah. you know right. all these stories some and there was even a steamship a river boat named stag 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 lee yeah, you know, okay. A lot of stories, man, throughout yeah. history. But that story, you know, is is thousands of years old. The story about John Henry, you know, with his hammer, mm. you know, uh, thousands of years old. It, it applies to everything. A yeah, guy right. works so hard, yeah. you know, against yeah. the system that it kills him. He lays down his hammer. His wife picks it up and keeps going. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? That's that's like, you know, that's in us. We were born with that. Yeah. Thousands and millions of years ago, whatever. Right, right. You know? And and it's just a way of telling these stories. And, you know, I guess when you're alive in a certain time, that's your time to tell stories about your time. Yeah. But drawing on history, like you were talking about before, like history is important, man. Well, really now it's, it's and, and now more than ever, right? Yeah. It feels like, you know... We maybe we've never been great at uh, remembering history, but uh, certainly it feels now we, t you know, tend to re repeat history yeah. because we don't remember it or don't know it in the first place. Yeah, and we got to be real careful, man, because you know times like these could lead Fuck, us back, dude. like in the just the turn of a screw, man. Yeah, man, and it's really dangerous. So I know a lot of young people, you know, right now they they ain't interested in history. Uh, uh, you know, whatever happened five years ago or before that, you know, doesn't really apply, you know, and all that because, you know, of of uh, of where perspectives are. But it's really important to know history. You got to know your history because that's what makes you a warrior. It makes you strong. Well, and and this you know? also just gets back to the bigger part of the conversation too about being a student of your craft. Know your shit. Know your shit. You know, we we were talking about you know Google earlier and and not having Google 
when we grew up. I, I, uh, I'm 49. I don't know how old you yeah, are. You 56. look like you're 30. Thanks. Yeah, you look fucking great. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so we didn't have, you know, uh, these these the access to this information. We actually had to go to the fucking library and check yeah. out a book and read a book. Or talk to an old man. Or talk to a mentor, uh, <laughs> an expert, an uh, uh, older, uh, older, you know, person, citizen. Yeah. You know, now we're living in, you know, feels like the kids, they, you know, they YouTube it, they Google it, they feel like they know it. And it's like, no, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the same. Yeah. No. You know, and they know things, you know, I mean, like they'll, they'll know who covered the song for people out. Right. Right. You know, but they it's won't a, know who, where it came yeah, from. Yeah. You do know that it's a cover of the original that was, yeah, 30 yeah. years, you know. But like they don't, they don't know no. that. No. You know? And like when I was a kid, I mean, that's all I wanted to know. Yeah. You know? I mean, like first time I heard, uh, you know, Patti Smith or read. Okay. So I was obsessed with Patti Smith. She was like yeah. my, I was in love with when I was like 12 years old. She was like my Marilyn Monroe, man. Yeah. And, you know, she just blew my mind, you know? She talked a lot about Rambo. I read about Jim Morrison, who also talked about Rambo, and he talked about Nietzsche, and so did she, you know? So I went to my librarian in, you know, seventh grade or whatever, you know, and I said, I want a book of, on, by Nietzsche, and she sent me to the principal. What? They almost threw me out of school what? for asking for that. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, are you people nuts? I'm reading, I'm, you know, and that yeah. was the other thing, yeah. studying acting, because yeah. people would turn me on to these books and turn right. me on to these concepts right. and then i would bring my mind yeah. back to new jersey yeah. and try to like get it and yeah, you were being corrupted the by the uh, freaks in new york city yeah yeah right you know what i mean but it was really important to me to know my history you know and to learn that you know baudelaire and then rambo and then you, this person and then that person and you know on and on you Bob wouldn't Dylan, go to a Patty doctor Smith. they didn't go to medical school you <laughs> exactly know? so doc what's your qualification <laughs> well i watched a video on youtube right. i googled it <laughs> yeah i bought some equipment <laughs> <laughs> it's right. It's right. Got this awesome set of surgical tools. Exactly. Don't Let's they make me look shot. official? Yeah. I, uh, I man. feel that your, you know, your problem might be in your neck. Let's start there. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Yeah. You got to know your shit. You yeah, got to know where man. you're coming from. I mean, so that, what do you yeah. do? So what are you doing? I mean, obviously your dad, you got your own kids to raise, but I mean, in terms of giving back and helping younger kids coming up and what's your, where's your mind at on that? Are you, are you able to, to, you know, to, to coach and to teach at all? Or are you, what are you, you, maybe that's down the road for you? I'm like dying to do that, man. Yeah. I got a whole thing like written out, you know, I have mm -hmm. a whole outline of a, I would, what I would really love to do is I would love to have a school where I teach what I do, you know, I teach writing and, and dance even, man, mm -hmm. and uh, acting and painting and, you know, creativity where you teach creativity and you teach how all these different, uh, like, uh, what would you call them, genres mm -hmm. feed into one another, yep. you know, and how if you know them all and you're really skilled at all of these different things, how they feed into one another and how you're never going to run dry, you know, you could just keep drawing yeah. from writing and from music and from all of these different genres. And that's one really exciting thing about moving to Cleveland. Right that I could teach. I would love that, you know, and visit all these different schools. There are tons of schools, you know, and what a, what a, what a hunger, 
uh, or, or need, you know, there there is for such a thing. I mean, you know, I grew up, uh, in, you know, went to public school uh, in the Midwest, but um, we actually had a at our school uh, 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 in our community, we had a, a good tax base. It was working class, but everybody was employed and yeah. doing well, solid middle class. So our school, our high school, we had a great liberal arts education. So we had, yes, we had academics and in honor classes, things like that, you know. But we and we yes, of course, we had sports, but we had arts. We had music, we had theater, we had, you know, and uh, and all that shit's being cut now. Yeah, I know. So it's how all do you, gone. Yeah. Who's going to make up the gap? Well, you and I are going to make up the Artists. gap. Hell, this is why I'm doing this podcast, in fact, because I'm, I'm thinking of the 16 year old in Cleveland <laughs> who doesn't have uh, 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 you know access to this. And yeah. maybe they'll stumble upon this podcast and get a window into this world that they're hungry for. Right. In and an honest way, man. Yeah, it's in, yeah. In, in, for free and in an honest way. And it feeds their soul. It feeds their mind, inspires them. Yeah. No. I mean, it's really important, man. I mean, like uh, back in in uh, well, at one point, I lived in uh, Canada outside of Montreal, mm. you know. And I, there, I was figuring out, okay, what could I do here? So I found a place. I, I worked with like Alzheimer's patients. Wow! And I would go in once a week, and I would say to them, "Draw your house where you grew up." draw your house and people would draw their houses where they grew up and like they were able to like talk about them and i would ask them questions about their houses yeah. but you know they were totally not in the moment yeah you know but right. like with their houses right. they remembered right. that right you know and like throughout like i lived when i lived on cape cod all the time i would i would every chance i get uh, i got i would i would try to connect with young people i was showing a lot there you know yeah so people i would invite classes to to my play to my uh where i was showing and talk about the work and and you know just let them ask questions you know just a lot of questions so i'm hoping to do a lot of that there in cleveland you know and work with young people because it is our responsibility man I mean, we're the people we're who have to uh, who have to make it available yes you know because the art is being cut of all things right it's cut and history isn't taught very much either right you know and There's art civics. and history go hand in yeah, hand on man. and on and on yeah you know yeah man you uh know? And then we have a, you know, obviously, you know, uh, middle-aged guys. I mean, it is, we have a responsibility and a duty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we yeah. got to step in, man, and really make that, because I mean, that's what's important. Even if people don't grow up to be artists, you know, it's important that they have that experience yeah. and they know that that's available to them. Well, and, and, um, you know, our listeners have heard me tell the story many times, but, um, you know the you know Gordon McKenzie's uh, book Orbiting the Giant Hairball. Uh, Gordon was the chief creative officer at Hallmark Cards uh, for years and years and years, and um, he wrote Orbiting the Giant Hairball to really focus on. I mean, the subject of the book is really about how do you maintain your artistic integrity when you're working in a corporate environment, right? Yeah. And but the story he t or a story he tells in the book is he would go speak to school kids mm -hmm. and you know kindergarten first grade second grade second grade and and on and on and he always started his talks with the same question who here's an artist in kindergarten every kid raises their hand yeah right well by third grade like maybe one kid wow every year it just went down and down yeah right? and his whole point is what the hell are we doing 
right? Yeah. To to school, you know, to these kids, and yet creativity is the only only thing that's really going to solve the existential problems that face mankind. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's science, it's medicine. Yes. I mean, creativity. Yes. Is everything. Yes. There's yes. nothing. No. That. You know, I mean, you know, if if, uh, two tree branches blow into each other, you know, from wind and nature, yeah, yeah, creativity has nothing to do with that. But everything else, creativity has something to do with. But how those how those limbs land on the ground uh, on each other, (laughs) you know, somebody walks up and goes, oh, wait, that's actually that would actually make a really good shelter if I laid some pine boughs on that. That's right. I mean, it's that. And even that, even building the first shelter, building the first fire that was creative, man. Yeah, that was right. a creative fucking act, and that's a key point. I think we have such a one-dimensional. You, you, know, you were talking about these people in you know New York or whatever telling you, you know, that's not art because you write on it. I mean, we have such one-dimensional uh, uh, perspectives on what art might be or what creativity is. No, if you're a scientist, if you're a mathematician, if you, you know, you yeah. have to understand the principles of creativity to innovate in your field. Yeah, and to be deep, and yeah, to be, right. you know, and and to have some compassion, man. Yeah, empathy. And yeah. empathy and to understand where you're coming from. So it's really like if we cut out that from the schools, we're really creating a bunch of robots who just take tests. Yep. Because my kids, you know, that's all they talk about. I mean, you know, my kids are being educated through Google Classroom. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, why even go to school? Why right. don't they just sit home, plug into their computer and take tests? And that's it. Yeah. Anybody, um, you know, monkeys could take yeah. a test. You know what I mean? Yeah. A chicken yeah. could take a test. Yeah. It's not about taking a test, no, man. It's about no. learning something. How to think. How to think. And how does that apply to my life? Right. And that comes out of creativity. That's why schools like you know, Montessori's and Waldorf schools and all these, you know, different uh, concepts of, of, of how to teach kids, you know, are so popular. I mean, like, you know, the Waldorf technique came out. That guy was a, he was a, a German military man. Okay, and, yeah, I don't know the story. You no, know, yeah, I mean, it came out of like his, you know, experience in the German military, and it ended up being, you know, it's a way to teach children in a creative way where they learn at their own pace and follow their own interests. Wow, you know what I mean? Great. I mean, it's really important, man. Yeah. We're creating adults. We're creating right. people who are going to be walking and talking one day. Right. And again, man, I mean, years ago, everyone knew how to draw. Everyone knew a different language. Yeah. Everyone knew how to uh, how to write. People uh, were raised on liter- real literature, man, real yeah. books. And, yeah. you know, and knew how to write and knew how to do things and knew how to cook. <laughs> you know, right. And by the way, fix knew, knew how to go outside and, ha- and, and play and skin their knee. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and, and be better for it yeah you know all that yeah and all that shit is is very important it's really important i mean like you know halloween's coming up what we do is you know we dress up and we have fun and we go out and collect candy and hang out with our friends yeah you know that's that's what's still happening now yeah what would happen in 10 years from now if halloween was just like you know you're you're online and you know you get an app and you collect candy 
Right. I mean, if it right. was, you know, boiled down to yeah. that. And, well, by the way, that could know? totally happen. I mean, if God yeah. forbid something weird happened on a Halloween and there was some, God forbid, you know, uh, criminal terrorist uh, act. Yeah. Halloween would be over in a over. heartbeat. In oh, a second. Yeah. It would be like, oh, my God, how could we have ever gone yeah. to someone's yeah. house and accepted <laughs> candy? It's like, how could we be free? We can't be free anymore. Yeah. That's the thing. We're not we're, we, 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 we don't we're not willing to die for our freedom. Right. And we're putting our own selves in jail. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But uh, but yeah, man, it's 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 all really important, and and the most important thing, no matter what you do, I mean, like, is that is that you you have a sense of what art is and what creating art feels like, you know, that you have a sense of that for sure, know? brother, for and, sure, and, and, you know, and so I mean, Kafka was a clerk man yeah he wrote all that stuff he was working in an office yep. bukowski yep. you know he was working in a post office that's where he wrote that shit from that's yeah. what he did every day and a lot of artists had jobs yep like jobs all the time i've had more jobs than than anybody you know anybody uh, who you know i mean i know people not i i I didn't mean to say I've had more jobs than anybody. What I meant to say is most people just have one job. That's their job. They work in the post office. They're a garbage man. They're a pilot. They're this, they're that. They're the artists have to have millions of jobs. Yeah. You know, you have to have a job that suits wherever the fuck you're living. You have to have a job that suits your timeline. Well, and by the way, but let's connect the dots here a little bit because this kind of gets back to creativity because on a certain level, we're coming into a time where we are in a time, right, where the one job for 30 years is no more, right? We're going into the so-called gig economy where people are having to fend for themselves and learn how to make ends meet. And maybe some people feel desperate. Maybe maybe some some people are angry and and pissed off and they should be because they can't find a a good, healthy, proper job that can last them. But so what do you do? You're left on your own you have to get creative yeah you have to figure out well okay how can i make money that's right you got to work it out man you know i mean like i was talking to a guy last night he was a restaurant uh manager for many years now he's driving an uber yeah okay well you know the guy who invented uber you know he wasn't doing anything before that and then he came up with uber and he invented that that's creative yeah you know well you know and and that's the thing we need these tools man we need these tools like you're saying to figure out what to do for a living because yeah you're right you know getting going to school studying something and then getting a job in your field and retiring on it yeah you know that's that's kind of like not happening so much anymore yeah from what i understand the one thing that artificial intelligence at least not yet and not anytime soon perhaps the 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 one thing human beings have over ai is our ability to connect the dots in unexpected creative ways yeah you know and and if we're not teaching creativity from from kindergarten up Right. Um, if we're not teaching, it's just like with a with a foreign language. You teach a foreign language from kindergarten up. Yeah. Languages are so much easier for kids. Yeah. You man. know. And if yeah. we're not teaching our kids how to think and be creative, how can they? How how can we expect them to be creative and and think differently? Yeah. You know? It's really it's scary, man. And no. we really do have to, you know, for our own future, we really have to do take it. We have to take it seriously for sure, brother. Know? Well, and here's the thing: like, I'm so grateful, Michael, that you're here today. I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation because hopefully, this conversation that you and I are having are gonna is gonna inspire and 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 help our listeners in some way. You know, you know, address um, their own artwork, whatever it might be, their own creative expression, whatever it might be. 
You, my friend, are here in LA. Yes. You're you're here for a shoot. You know, the, the conversation today was so deep. Let's go superficial for a minute. Okay. Right? Okay. okay. Uh, uh, tell our listeners where they can see you on the TV because you're you're shooting the Mayans right now, yeah. right? Which is amazing. Uh talk about what's happening. So yeah, we're doing Mayans MC. It opened a few weeks ago, premiered a few weeks ago. We're uh we're running right now. We're on ten o'clock on Tuesday nights on FX, and it is a beautiful, beautiful experience. Got to see the show. I'm I'm loving it so much. We're I in mean, season three now. Season two, two. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And it's just it's just the most heartfelt, you know, uh, experience. I love it. I love the people I'm working with. The scripts are amazing. The story is is timely and deep and personal, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's a, it's a really different experience, you know, for TV. You now, know. when are you co- so you come back? How often to shoot now? We're, well, I mean, it varies. I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, it varies. Like in future, I'll come in when you know when I'm yeah. needed to be here. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and uh, and and what's great about that man is that I'll be living in Cleveland. You know, in a house with my my wife and my kids and my dogs and you know all that stuff, and then you know get on a plane and go to work yeah. and then show up like a like a savage man like an animal and that's how i like it right i like to work that way you know so that i'm just 100 percent focused on the world i'm in yeah you know staying in a motel up uh, by where we're shooting and yeah, just you, you showing guys shoot up, up uh where, where yeah, you, we shoot out out the, out yeah, in the, at the boonies yeah, yeah man yeah that's so cool yeah you know where it looks like you know uh you know mexico yeah, it looks yeah. like right right there you know we got all that all that beautiful land man where we could just go and go and go oh, that's it's so awesome, good man. for the soul man i've just been be waiting a, since yeah. i'm 10 years old man to be a, a, in this gig right here wow i mean for I didn't real know that. i that's looked awesome. around myself you know i just looked around i said to myself man this is where it's at this is what i wanted like when i was a little kid i wanted to be right here yeah you know man yeah just at the, you know, at the people. But how and, beautiful is it that you, well, A, you got there, but B, that, you know, you're mindful and grateful enough to see it, know it, appreciate it, call yeah. it out. A hundred percent, man. I mean, I, I, I'm thankful every day, every day that I could, that I could still paint or write, put two words together, you know, or, or show up on set and, and, uh, and really truthfully be there, you know, in a big way. I mean, I'm thankful for that every single day, you know, and, and I try to cultivate it. Are you able to, to sort of segment or bifurcate when you're acting? Are you thinking about your visual art at all? Are you, are you, are you, do you have your black book? Are you sketching at all? Or do you really kind of keep those things separate? It's like, you know, it's like, it's always happening at the same time. It's yeah. just the focus is more on the acting. Right, right. It's right. like when I'm doing a play out of town. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like I'll fucking, you know, before I come home, you know, when I'm getting ready to come home, I'll be packing my bag and, and realize I have like 15 canvases here, man. How am I going to get home? You know, I've had to take trains from, you know, gigs instead of flying, you know, I mean, stuff like that. Yeah. But it's like, you know, everything, it's like almost like writing in formation. It's like, you know, uh, the painting leads now and then the writing leads and yeah. then the acting leads, you know, it's Ebb like, flow, that's how yeah. it is. Yeah, Ebb and yeah. flow. Yeah, yeah. You know, but everything still informs and feeds in, right. you know? Right. I mean, like the visual art, like, 
you know, I mean, we're working in film, you know, so it's a very visual medium yeah. too, you right, know, so, right. you know, so that acting actually has its visual medium mm -hmm. and that's kind of what I'm dealing with. Like how, what is this shot and how, what's my relation in this shot? What, what am I doing in mm -hmm. this shot? Mm -hmm. You know, being here just spatially even, yeah. you know, you got to think of all, it's so complicated yeah. man, when you're acting. I mean, it's just like, and, and the more you do it and the, the more experience you have, and I have a lot of experience in the theater with live work and yeah. movies and TV, and they're all so different. Yeah. You know, every one of those mediums is really different. And, you know, and the more, you know, the more you could play with, you know, which is really cool. So, you know, uh, so here, you know, you have a script and you have actors and then you have the, uh, the directors and then you have the lighting and then you have the visual shot. I mean, there's so many different levels to be alive in and to, and to work in. It's just so beautiful. Well, you're radiating right now, oh, Michael Lordsey. I'm happy to be yeah, with yeah. you, man. <laughs> this has been such a gift. Yeah. Thanks for coming out and make me promise. Please come back. Absolutely, I'll come back. And you got to visit me in Cleveland. Cleveland, man. Ohio. I'll come, I'll come to Chicago and see you too. Let's do it. You know, man? You yeah, got it. Absolutely. All right, brother. We'll meet in Detroit, whatever. Dude, in all candor, this is embarrassing. I have not been to J J Detroit since I was a kid. Let's let's go and explore that okay. together. We'll, we'll make that a field it. trip. Grab Circus too, man. Oh, well, shout that, out Michael Circus. Michael yes. Circus, yes. Man. Yeah, cool. Yeah, man. Let's do that. Okay. And explore. That's great. Looking forward. All right, brother. All right, my brother. Be well. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and share it with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please be sure to press subscribe and follow us on IG at Not Real Art Official. We appreciate the support. Sourdough, out.